Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Compass, Finding Our Direction. Here we discuss new evidence-based findings on the current topics in medicine. My name is Dr. Benjamin Senor, and I'm joined here today by Dr. Louis Karitsky. Today, we're going to talk about a challenging patient that might arise in the clinic and finding out how to navigate to help work up this patient. A lot of the times in the clinic, Dr. Karitsky, we have a middle-aged male who comes in and they present with fatigue or low libido, lack of energy, and they want some relief. So Dr. Kritsky, how do we, where do we go from here and how do we navigate to help this patient? Well, Ben, the scenario you're talking about is really quite common. And unfortunately, the differential diagnosis of fatigue in a midlife male is very, very broad. At the same time, that's not an excuse for not having a refined linear plan about how to evaluate it. When patients come in, they can complain of fatigue. If they're not health professionals, they perhaps think there's a single blood test. There's a fatigue test where you can check it off and find out what's the matter. And that is rarely the case. Uh, when patients come in with fatigue, I think they're the origin of their symptoms can be largely grouped into uh, organic versus psychogenic. And a, a major step in the decision process is to find out more about the patient and especially their emotional health, about what kind of relationship they're in, if their relationship is satisfying, if their job is satisfying, if they're getting enough sleep, and if the sleep is, is refreshing and nutritional sleep that they get up in the morning and feel like they're ready to, to face the day. But a critical element it, that you mentioned in your initial description was a male with low libido. And low libido is typically the key to hypoandrogenism or from hypogonadism. Now, certainly, low libido is associated with depression. You may recall that men have cyclic erections around the clock that uh, occur even in utero, and the purpose of those cyclic erections is to provide freshly oxygenated blood to the corpora cavernosa to keep the endothelium healthy and active. And amazingly enough, depression alone is sufficient to knock out that cycle so it can knock out and block the effects of the central nervous system on producing that very basic fundamental process. So we know that depression can be the cause, but more often the scenario that I've seen, and you'll have to tell me what you see, you have seen, is that men coming in and they, they're not depressed and they're, they're not suffering with anxiety and they don't have any stigmata of sleep apnea. They just say their libido is low and they're, they're not sure why because it disappoints them that they're not having the same active and, and satisfying sex life as they had earlier. Most of the time when patients come in with their, the symptoms that you described, you know, we can, we initiate the workup, but a lot of them actually, a lot of the patients, they come in and they actually ask for testosterone because one of their friends or cousins or someone else that they know tried testosterone and they felt great. It turned their whole life around. They're A, not depressed anymore. Their sex life is now great. They feel much better. So that's from my experience, they come in asking for testosterone therapy. With aging, 
testosterone levels drop similarly to what we see when we study osteoporosis, that there's a gradual age-related decline in estrogen. There's a gradual age-related decline in testosterone of 1% to 2% per year. The range in our local laboratory for a normal total testosterone is from about 300 to about 1,000. And so if you can imagine that if a, a male starts out at midlife with uh, up about a, a thousand, by the time he's 70 or 80 years old, he may have a marginal level of testosterone. The key element, though, that you mentioned is the loss of libido. So certainly depression and fatigue can be due to hypogonadism, but there should also be a loss of libido. And the reason that's important is in the long-term and intermediate-term studies of androgen replacement in males, the symptom that is most prominently affected is libido. And so if men come in just for fatigue or just for depression uh, or just for sarcopenia of aging, the testosterone replenishment is generally not nearly so effective. The, um, the the most most difficult case. Well, let's talk about the simplest case first. Let's say you, the man you described is forty five, and he comes in, and his testosterone is two hundred and fifty. Then we have to determine: is this primary gonadal failure? Have his testes just stopped working for some reason? Which we do by checking his FSH and LH. So if his test if his testicle is failing to produce testosterone, then we want to see if it's coming. From a, from a defect in the loss of function of FSH or LH. Assuming that there is no uh, unusual result to the FSH or LH, and he has low testosterone, if it's just clearly low, there's nothing wrong with replacing his testosterone. We have lots of choices. We could do it with topical agents, patches, and gels, and creams. The, the generally most successful way for males is parenteral replacement with either weekly or every weekly, every two week uh, injections with testosterone. Typically, testosterone cypionate is a very popular version of testosterone. And there's testosterone pellets that could be implanted at a six month interval. Uh, there's now a testosterone undecanoate that's good for about 12 to 14 weeks, too, is a more uh, longer acting intermediate substance that's that's newer. And the therapy is generally titrated to provide a mid-normal total morning testosterone. And generally, those patients are very satisfied. So the men who come in and their problem is this libido and fatigue and depression and less muscle mass, they definitely feel both more energetic, sometimes a little less depressed, but their libido problem is solved. Now, the more difficult case is the gentleman who comes in with a borderline testosterone. Let's say your laboratory's testosterone normal is 330 to 1090. If he comes in and his testosterone is just barely above the normal range, we can't look at that man and know whether two years ago his testosterone was 600, and this is a major drop. So some guidelines recommend that in that particular circumstance, we should measure a free testosterone and a sex hormone binding globulin. The reason being, as some men age, their sex hormone binding globulin rises and it ties up their free testosterone. And so what looks like a low normal testosterone 
may actually be ultimately a subnormal testosterone for them. The goal then is assuming that their free testosterone is low or their SSHBG is high, that we should give them a clinical trial. If the libido is restored, and as well as the accompanying symptoms of the, the fatigue, for instance, then we can continue on with the testosterone on a long-term basis as long as we don't exceed the mid-normal range for healthy young men, which be, would be about six or at the most perhaps 700. And as long as we don't induce the adversities like a worsening of sleep apnea, a remarkably elevated hematocrit like 53 or, or greater, or a worsening of heart failure. So do you recommend when patients come in and they say they have a low libido, they're fatigued, you recommend testing testosterone in these patients? Yes. Or as part of the workup? Yes. And as long as we're going to draw their blood, since it could be anemia, it could be hemochromatosis, for instance, can cause premature testicular failure, could be chronic hepatitis with fatigue. So I, I think that you know, it would be generally reasonable to get a CBC and a CMP along with the testosterone level. The recommended test is the morning free, I'm sorry, morning total testosterone. So that's the, the initial diagnostic test when you're looking for hypogonadism to look at the total. Now, let's say they qualify for testosterone therapy. And as you said, there are many routes to administer testosterone. Now, as we always say in our podcast, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's a lot of evidence regarding the use of testosterone and its side effects. So I just wanted to know, Dr. Kritsky, side effects meaning, you know, increasing bone density, questionably cardiovascular risks. Um, so what are your thoughts on taking testosterone long-term and the risks and benefits for the body? I wish I could say there was a single obvious correct answer. We got frightened off of testosterone about five years ago by a trial that specifically selected frail seniors with low libido based upon the fact that we did anticipate some improvement in muscle strength and we were not so concerned about cardiovascular events that we anticipated and a major increase. But in this particular trial, and as I recall, the mean age of the participants was 76 years there was a very meaningful increase in coronary events. Subsequent trials have not seen that. So I think we can be reassured that especially in younger men, I, I would want to make sure we don't make the mistake that we made with the Women's Health Initiative. When we did hormone replacement for women based upon observational data that suggested to us that hormone replacement would keep the genital urinary tract healthier, skin healthier, lipid profile healthier, hopefully vascular disease, less problematic. When we chose the wrong target audience, women who were 10 years postmenopausal, we got into trouble. So there was very little in the way of benefit and, and a troubling amount of adversity. So especially when you see a middle-aged to young male, like anybody 45 to early 60s, and they're complaining of a change in libido and fatigue, I think we should consider long-term administration. Nobody knows yet when to stop, whether there should be a time period to say, okay, every 10 years we'll try a hiatus and, and see if the patient is still being symptomatic. Because for sure, when you stop the testosterone, there are going to be dis disappointing symptoms reappear 
shortly after you stop. Anything else? I I think that we have been actually a little too, I think we've been overcautious. When you select the right patient, young to midlife males with uh, low libido, that we certainly in the past, we've been overindulgent in providing too many patients testosterone without confirmation of low or at least borderline low with low free testosterone. And that if in carefully selected patients, it can be a major game changer for their life. To conclude, a middle-aged male that comes in with low libido fatigued, don't exclude the testing of testosterone and free testosterone to help mitigate this patient's symptoms, prescribing testosterone if need be. Join us next time on The Clinical Compass, Finding Our Direction. The opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not reflect the views of UCF and HCA entities. The recommendations in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Please see your primary care physician for medical care regarding any advice heard in this podcast. I would like to disclose that Dr. Louis Koritsky is or has been a consultant for Lilly, Behringer Ingelheim, Nova Nordisk, Sanofi, and Bayer.